Hello everyone and welcome to being a biracial woman. Best of both worlds. I'm Cora, your host, and we will be having an interview with my best best friend and my roommate, Kelly, here soon. So this podcast broadly is about being a biracial woman today in America. I am half black, half white, which leads to a very interesting life experience. I was born and raised in San Francisco, California, and I now live in Louisville, Kentucky. I moved here when I was 18 after I graduated high school to go to college at the University of Louisville. Um, Moving from somewhere like San Francisco to Kentucky, um, actually I'm gonna say to Louisville because Louisville is a lot different than the state of Kentucky, also adds another dynamic to my life experience. Um, but being biracial has always been a kind of confusing thing for me at times, especially since I was only raised by my mother, who's white, and I only know my white side of my family. Um, I have been called not black enough, I've been called, oh, you're just white, but... I also have to deal with the fact that I look black. Like, I'm not, I don't look white. I'm not white passing or anything like that. And I will say that I have definitely been more acutely aware of my blackness since I've moved to Louisville. Um, And I'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah. Um... Also, I want to mention that I have GAD, which is Generalized Anxiety Disorder, um, Severe Depression, and I possibly have Endometriosis. I mention this to say that GAD and depression have also shaped my life experience on top of being a biracial woman, and possibly Endometriosis because of the phenomenon that I'm sure we all know of, of women in general, but especially black women not being heard in the medical field um, is an issue that I've dealt with firsthand and that I'm still dealing with to this day. Um, So yeah, the content of this podcast will be different things that I've experienced being a biracial woman with mental illness in America. And our main two topics today will be the angry black woman and the stigma of mental illness. So the stereotype, I guess, of the angry black women, woman um, is something that I've never really understood where it came from, um, but it's one that I've had to really kind of wrestle with throughout my life. So... As I mentioned, um, I have generalized anxiety disorder and severe depression, um, which for me, my anxiety manifests in a very kind of um, angry way. Like if I'm anxious or I'm overstimulated or a little bit of both or whatever's going on, I tend to mask these feelings with irritation, frustration, anger, and 
I've been in therapy for over a year and I am aware of this and been trying to work on it. But before I was in therapy, before I had any diagnosis, before I was on medication, I just went through life trying to cope in other ways. Um, I've coped for a few years by smoking weed. Um, I cope through shopping, which is a real problem. And I cope through anger. Um, this has led to me being kind of stereotyped as what people would call the angry black woman. And I think this is a very dangerous and unacceptable stereotype because I was angry and frustrated and irritated because I have a mental illness and it was untreated. I wasn't in therapy. That's why I was angry. My anger and my mental illness had nothing to do with my race, but they were grouped together. I, the first time I remember being stereotyped um, was by someone in my family and they said, you're just like any other black woman, woman angry. And I was maybe 16 or 17, um, and I didn't know what to do with that (laughs) at the time. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to think. I just took it and basically carried it with me ever since. Um, I had a really low point um, during the pandemic I got kicked out of my house and I was living with my friend in her dorm and then the dorms got shut down because of COVID. I didn't know where I was going to live. I had no money. I had a job, but my hours were cut down to about six or six or seven a week because of the pandemic. And I just felt so angry and I was still carrying around that comment that I'm just like any other black woman angry. And I just remember thinking why am I so angry? Like, why, you know, why is this happening to me? And I ended up getting into therapy, maybe six or seven months, maybe a year. Honestly, I don't know. The pandemic felt like a fever dream, but I got into therapy soon after that. And I started unpacking the mental illness. I finally got a diagnosis. I got medicated. I got healthy coping skills and the anger that I lived with day in and day out slowly but surely started melting off and I started feeling like the true feelings of sadness, depression, anxiety, worry, stress and then I started unpacking the kind of racially um charged or I'm not sure what the word is but the the racial background of my feelings and my life experience and all of this other stuff and um I kind of like I was talking to my therapist and I was like you know I don't really think like my race really has anything to do with anything like for in my personal life experience, but then I started unpacking all this stuff and I realized that it does. Someone else's stereotype 
of black women, they projected onto me. So first of all, their stereotype of other black women isn't even true. Second of all, they then projected that onto me. And then I spent two to three years, two to four years, three years, however long it was, internalizing that and putting it on myself when it wasn't just because I was an angry black woman, as they claimed. It was because I had a serious mental illness that they were contributing to. And they still just blamed it on me because I'm just, I'm a black woman. And so I automatically am angry because of that. This is a very dangerous stereotype and a very dangerous thing that people say think and put onto others and it doesn't help anything it hurts because I took that and I was like oh that's why I feel this way like that's why that's why and it took me so long to get the actual mental help that I needed which is just perpetuating further problems, perpetuating further racism, perpetuating further sexism, whatever it is. Um, And, you know, speaking of me getting my help, this kind of leads into what I was talking about earlier, which is about women never being taken seriously, listened to, understood in the medical field, psychiatrically and medicinally. Um, You know... When I first started therapy, everything was great from that aspect, but from a psychiatrist aspect, it was a lot of trial and error, which is normal, I guess, but it was a lot of me having to advocate for myself. You know, I went, at first I went to just a primary care physician because that's all that I could afford, and they were like, oh yeah, you're just depressed, and they put me on a very typical... um, antidepressant which made me worse it made me crazier made me worse I told them and they were like oh no you're fine like it takes a couple weeks to kick in and I'm like well see I've been on this for like a month and it's making me worse like I'm not noticing any improvements I'm noticing worse and it was just a huge runaround blah blah and I finally started doing my own research and I went to my psychiatrist and I said I think I need this. I think this would help me. I think this is what we should do. And that wasn't my job to do, but that's what I had to do to advocate for myself and make sure that I was being heard. And my psychiatrist agreed with me, said, we can, we can try that. And sure enough, it worked for me. It, I've been on this medication for over a year and... Now we are joined with my best friend Kelly and she's going to talk a little bit about how her medical experiences and mental illness journey she feel like has been affected by her intersectionality of also being a woman. Hi, um, Kelly. Um, yeah, so whenever I was 15, um, I had to be hospitalized um, because I randomly one day just couldn't breathe. My chest was hurting. Um, 
and I sat in the ER for probably about eight hours. Kept telling me that I would probably be sent home. They thought it was a panic attack. And they finally looked at my x-ray and they noticed that on one side of my body, my lung had only 30% capacity. So it was very much a medical emergency. Um, the doctors apologized profusely, but, um, you know, I still deal with feelings of not being taken seriously because I do have being mentally ill on my record. Um, so it's, it's been a whole journey my entire life medically, just trying to get, um, taken seriously by doctors. Um, yeah, yeah, that was probably the biggest point in my life that it affected me that much. Yeah. Um, I also mentioned earlier that I might have endometriosis and the might have is because I literally as hard as I try cannot get a diagnosis to save my life. Um, I've dealt with horrible periods my entire life and my mother even was like, oh, you're fine. Like this happened to me too. This happened to your aunt. You're fine. Like you're just a woman. So I just thought it was normal. Um, the older I got, I realized that um cold sweating on the floor and throwing up from cramps isn't normal um and I tried to get an IUD to help that um my IUD was actually misplaced when they put it in and I was telling people like hey like this doesn't feel right like uh, my cramps are somehow worse when you told me they were going to be better um and they're like oh no you're fine like you just have an IUD and you just have a period, like, it hurts. Um, I ended up going to a different gynecologist and I intentionally made sure that it was a woman because I wanted someone to take my pain seriously. Mm-hmm. And she did an internal... Oh my gosh, Kelly, what is that called? The thing... An ultrasound. An ultrasound. She did an internal oh. ultrasound. Yeah. Um, And she found out that my IUD was misplaced and it was banging into the walls of my uterus. Um, Anytime I moved, anytime I was on my period and I had cramps. And so I obviously had to get it taken out and reinserted. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just this perpetual disbelief of women in the medical practice in general. Yeah. Whether it be... Uh, I guess more medicinally, like what happened to you, Kelly, or mm-hmm. my period in general, but also mentally, um, because mm-hmm. it took me like two years to get the correct medication that I needed for my mental illness. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's it's very rough. I'm a nursing student, so I'm particularly interested in everything medical field um and women's health is just such an interesting field because you'd think it would be the most progressive whenever it comes to taking women seriously about their issues but I don't think I've ever come across a single woman who hasn't had some sort of a horrible experience at the gynecologist um I 
have had kind of similar experiences to yours. Um, when I was like a very young teenager, I was having some pain that was not normal. And um, my gynecologist, um, she offered to like do a pelvic exam, try to see what was going on. And she figured it was probably just because I was young and, um, you know, but I immediately started crying when she began because it was painful and she laughed at me. <laughs> so uh, it's like, it's just, the medical field can be really crazy sometimes when it comes to women and especially pain. Um, but mental health definitely ties into that. Cause you know, it's the same sort of, um, may not be physical pain, but you know, when you have mental illness and a lot of the time you're hurting mentally. Yeah, just like, oh, women are just emotional. Yeah, you're just yeah. sad. Like, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was diagnosed with IBS at seven years old because the doctors couldn't come up with anything else. And I didn't get an anxiety diagnosis until I was 13. And that should have happened a lot sooner. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... I don't know what it is, but it's in too common. Like you said, I know so many women that um have the same similar experiences with gynecologists or just a doctor's office in general mm-hmm. um the only reason that uh abby who is one of our friends has a correct diagnosis in medicine now is because i told her like what happened to me and what i did to get the right diagnosis and medicine and everything and me and her have a lot of the same symptoms and experiences and I literally sat her down and I was like look you're gonna need to 1000 percent advocate just for yourself and no one's going to help you like that's just how it is like you need to advocate for yourself if you think you need this if you think you want to try this you need to tell them and you need to just like stand your ground about it and that's what she ended up doing and you know, she yeah. got what she needed, but yeah. So thank you, Kelly. I appreciate yeah, you. Thank you. As discussed, it is way too common and accepted that women are treated differently and like they are being dramatic in any type of medical or mental health space. Um, and tying that in myself by being a biracial woman is we need to stop using the phrase angry black woman or using that stereotype because it is doing no one any favors and it is just simply not true. Um, like I said, I carried that around with me for a very long time and that wasn't even the case at all. So I just want to close this out by telling everyone that you need to advocate for yourself. You need to believe in yourself. You need to never give up on yourself. I came very close a few times to just giving up on myself. And I felt like it was too hard to advocate for myself. I was getting sick of advocating for myself. And no, it's not fair. But the first step is um, like understanding or for yourself personally understanding that there is a problem 
and that the best way that you can help yourself is by advocating for yourself and stop perpetuating um, these assumptions that women are being dramatic and um, yeah, it all starts with us. So everyone have a great day and a happy holidays and I will talk to you guys next week.